Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. Summit View. If you're visiting for the first time today, so glad that you're here. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at this amazing church, and uh, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today, whether it's if you're in the room right now with us or if you're listening to this later. I'm excited for this series. I think it's uh, it's great. It's touching on a subject that we all need a little bit more of in our lives. And last week, we started this short series. It's a three-part series that we're calling Love and Marriage. Love and Marriage. And this week, we're in part number two. When it comes to relationships, you know, one thing that we can all agree on is that they can be tough. They can be challenging. They can be confusing. There can be conflict. And, you know, one thing that's occurred to me in the past uh, few years, especially since I've um, been in ministry and helping with weddings, is that people spend so much time and energy preparing and planning for their wedding, but not many people spend the same amount of energy preparing and planning for their marriage, you guys know the difference. I mean, it's just, and, and that really just throws our priorities out of whack, right? Like that just shows what we're really focused on because here's what happens. We have all of the joy in the chaos of planning the wedding and the reception. All you mamas out there that help with wedding planning say amen. We got all the chaos of planning the wedding and the reception. We got to have the perfect color scheme, got to have the perfect dress, got to have the perfect food, got to have the perfect song to walk down the aisle to, got to have the perfect song for the first dance, got to have the perfect song to dance to with every relative on your side of the family anymore, it seems like. And you cut the cake, you party the night away. You go home with each other maybe for the first time, hopefully for the first time. We skip the next part. You can use your mind. And then you wake up the next morning remembering the night before and how much of a dream it was. And then it hits you. If you haven't prepared, what now? I, I don't even know where to go from here. I've never been married before. And you spend the next couple of years trying to learn each other so you can figure out how to do this thing called marriage, and, and that's hard work. In fact, I believe it's the number one reason why so many marriages fail before the five-year mark. Be, in fact, 20, 20% uh, last year, 20% of marriages failed before the five-year mark. And you might think, well, that's not that bad. It's got an 80% success rate after five years, but... <clears throat> But that just means that um, if you go to five of your friends or your family's weddings this year, one of them statistically will fail before five years. Now that puts it in a little bit different perspective when you start thinking about it could be your friends or it could be your family. They, may, they don't make it to five years and, and I believe the reason so many marriages fail before the five years is due to the fact of them not preparing for marriage. They, they prepare for their wedding, but they don't prepare for their marriage, and they have unmet expectations, and, and they don't go into the marriage with somewhat of a plan for it to succeed. You know, if we treated our weddings like we treat our marriages, I promise there'd be quite a few unhappy brides in the room today. 
And I think that much of the stress and much of the heartache can be avoided by actually having a plan. That you, you'll never figure everything out, I promise you. You'll always find out something new. But figuring some things out before you actually start the marriage is, is crucial. Here are some questions that I think you should answer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who's going to be the one to wash the dishes? Him, her, both of you? Who's going to cook? How many kids do you want to have? If you want to have kids, what age do you try to have them? How are you going to handle finances? What do you believe about debt? Do you believe you can use it as a tool or should you avoid it altogether? What bedtime do you both like? Do you like to go to bed at the same time? Do you like to go to bed with each other? You should. How many nights a week are you going to allot to spend with each other rather than going out with friends? How many nights a week are you going to allot to be able to go out to dinner with another couple? Do you even like another couple? Do you want pets? How many pets do you want? Do they live inside or do they live outside? When you build a house and you want to live close to town or do you want to live far out into the country? How do you both react when the other one lets you down? How do you process pain? Do you need a few minutes to, talk, uh, to step away and have it out on your own or do you need to talk it out immediately? What is your marriage going to look like? I mean, that's not even all of the questions, honestly. I could go on and on and, and, and then you guys would be leaving before I was done because that's all of the questions that that come up in marriage, and I think your marriage is only going to be as successful as your preparation. There are, there's a few questions that you're going to need to answer if you want to be on the same page and have a successful marriage. You know, it can be tough. It can be really tough. It can be complicated. But luckily, healthy relationships and healthy marriages are not impossible. You might have not grown up around one, unfortunately. You might have had grown up in a, a house full, you know, reeked with chaos and the, their, your parents' marriages were, were, were terrible, but I promise you that they aren't impossible and you don't even have to wonder how to make them work. Last week we looked at the meaning of marriage um, from the Bible. We went to Genesis chapter 2, the first marriage that was ever established by God. Now you can flip over there this morning or you can look at the screens. And our theme verse for this series starts in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. It says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And, and he really liked her. And I'll tell you why. Because he said, whoa, man. Terrible, sorry. That was a, that was a horrible joke. <clears throat> she, she shall be called woman. Moving on. Uh, for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man, <laughs> I'm so stupid. Uh, welcome to some of you. And this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. You know, we looked at this passage in depth last week and we discovered that our relationships and our marriages are meant to be a reflection of our relationship with God. That's the whole purpose of marriage is it's meant to be, it's meant to be a reflection of mankind's relationship with God. So we need to place a high value on them because your relationship will be the lens of how some people will see God. Next week, we're going to have the final part in our series with a message that is titled, It Is a Competition. So, if you are competitive, I know I have a really good friend sitting right down here that's pretty competitive. If you're competitive and, and you're, going to, you're going to want to make next Sunday, I might just empower you to compete with your spouse, all right? It is a competition, but today, 
Today we're going to be talking about fighting fair. Fighting fair, and you should have had message notes on your chair as you came in. Feel free to utilize those, and I would actually encourage you to, to take notes as we talk about it today, <clears throat> because successful people take notes. That's just, it's proven. It's scientific fact. It's science. But there is actually no question, we're talking about fighting fair, there is no question that you will fight as a couple, Okay, like it or not, there is no question that you will fight as a couple. It is not possible to avoid it. You really just have to embrace it. Every couple's gonna fight. But the ones that have the healthiest relationships in marriage, I can almost guarantee you, they haven't learned to avoid fights. They've learned how to fight fair. And the same goes for us. Same goes for us. We don't need to avoid fights. We just need to fight fair. We don't need to avoid fights. We just need to fight fair. You know, there's a place in a relationship where friction causes growth. I've never seen a, sh- a sword that is, has been able to be sharpened without a, spew, a few sparks flying. But it sure looks good at the end. There's your marriages, your, your relationships, the friction will cause growth. This is a place where a little conflict is good. It's okay for both of you. You know, back in the day, I used to do a, a little bit of mixed martial arts. Um, growing up, I was active in combat sports since kindergarten. Um, I was always the, the reason why I was always the smallest guy in my class. So my dad taught me I needed to defend myself, you know. So he, he put me in Taekwondo, and I got my black belt in Taekwondo in elementary school. And then I fell in love with wrestling, um, which is great because you, you don't have to... What happened in Taekwondo was I, I stayed down here and then as I grew up, people kept getting taller and taller so like they could just reach their leg out and kick me right in the head and I couldn't... I was, I was doing one of these, you know what I mean? You ever seen that? Just That was me. But wrestling, you have somebody your own weight that you can compete with. And, uh, you know, I was 100 pounds soaking wet my freshman year of high school. And I fell in love with wrestling, though, in, in fifth grade. And I wrestled all through high school. I had a pretty successful career through school. Had a couple college offers that I didn't take. And um, then I coached wrestling for a few years. And then I discovered mixed martial arts. And I was like, this is what my whole life has been training me for this moment. And I loved it. Usually the response that I would get was, how, how can you like getting punched in the face all the time. And my response was, that the point is to not. Like, you, you don't want to get punched in the face. That's the whole point of, of doing it. I actually hated getting punched in the face, by the way, but, but I got pretty good at it. I loved, uh, I loved learning kickboxing and Muay Thai. And, uh, but as I was training and fighting, here's what I found, that I would never get any better by avoiding spar- sparring and avoiding actual fights. I wouldn't get any better. You know, you can hit a bag all day. A bag doesn't hit back. You can jog around the gym and you can shadow box all day, but you never really get anywhere with the sport if you just continue to avoid the fight. I had a roommate. He was a world-ranked amateur kickboxer, um, amazing kickboxer, hit me harder than anybody I've ever been hit by in my entire life. And, uh, and homeboy never even hit me at 100%. And uh, he was much bigger than me. I fought at 145 pounds. He fought at 205 pounds. But we trained together. He was an amazing training partner. We lived together. We trained together. He taught me everything I know about kickboxing. And, uh, and, and, and we, we sparred together on the weekly. And I taught him how to wrestle. He taught me how to kickbox. And, you know, 
I like to avoid conflict. That's like a personality quirk of mine is that uh, I'm going to try to go the other way. When conflict's happening, I don't like to address it. Uh, I don't like to have those hard conversations with people. That's just me. But, But I always hated stepping into the ring with Cody because, well, number one, I knew I was about to get blown up, but I just knew it was going to cause me to be exhausted and beat up and probably in a little bit of pain, but I always did it because I always saw the growth and the strength on the other end. I always learned from uh, my experience, and I always ended up better than I was before I stepped in to the ring. And, and, and I like to make a statement to you this morning that you don't need to avoid conflict to have a healthy marriage. You just need to learn to fight fair. If you fight fair, it's not going to make you bitter. If you fight fair, it's going to make you better. You and your partner will be stronger and better and more unified on the other side of the argument as long as you don't take the cheap shots. And so this morning, I want to help you. I want to help you learn to fight fair. I, I, have, I have three keys to fighting fair that are in your notes. You can write these down. Number one, you got to stay focused on the goal. Stay focused on the goal. The goal is not for one of you to win while the other one loses. That's not the goal of the argument. The goal is to find the resolution. You might not have this mindset, but, but many of us do without realizing it. When you argue, you have this mindset that it's me against you. May the best person win. You know, it's just we, we, we compete with each other. But if you want to win in the relationship and not just win the argument you got to change your thought pattern. you got to change from me versus you to you and me versus the issue. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says it like this. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their toil. you got to team up on the issue. you got to team up. Don't just say it like this. Don't just turn up on each other. Team up on the issue. Like, don't just go out each other's throats. You've got to realign and set yourselves. Let's set expectations and say, wait a second. We're not in this to compete with each other. We're trying to find a common resolution here. You know, arguments take energy. So direct that energy at the right thing. And in the end, you two are still partners. Don't, don't lose value in each other because of a fight over something that probably won't even matter that much in a year from now. Sometimes this means that you've got to fight to understand where your partner's coming from. Sometimes you've got you to gotta fight for that. You, you, they feel the, the way that they feel for a reason. So figure out why they feel that way. Because it's much more important that you hear them than it is that you make them understand. It's much more important to hear. I, I hope you guys hear that. It's much more important to hear your spouse and understand them than it is for you to make your point known. If you're both competing that way to try to hear each other out, I promise you your argument's not going to last long. You're going to walk away better from it. Stay focused on the goal. Fight to resolve. Don't fight to be right. Fight to resolve. Number two, second one, second point um, to fighting fair (laughs) No more name-calling, okay? Just drop it. No more name-calling. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is one of the biggest lies that you're fed as a child. 
Because words do hurt. In fact, the Bible says this, that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Words hurt. In fact, they do much more than that. Words have the power to give life, but they also have the power to take it. You can take, you can take the life right out of your spouse when you start throwing the wrong words into the fight. You start name-calling. You start uh, demeaning. You start making them feel less than. And by the end, you've taken the life right out of your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Your words can give life or they can kill. And one of the quickest ways to tear your partner down is to resort to name-calling. The bad thing, this is also one of the quickest ways to end the argument. Maybe that's why you do it. Maybe you just know that when I do this, it's going to shut it down. It's going to shut them down. And that's exactly what it'll do, but you're going about it all the wrong way. You're ending it the wrong way. You're tearing down. Listen, you're tearing down the only person in this world that has your back 100%. And I know it seems easy. I know it may make you feel superior in the moment. But if I can just be honest with you, this has got to stop. This is an epidemic. You, I can't tell you how many people I'm walking in Walmart. I mean, not that that's like the cream of the crop, walking in Walmart. But I'm walking in Walmart. And I mean, the names that I hear getting thrown around between spouses and, and, and man and woman, I'm like, geez, dude. I, don't, I can't imagine how they talk to their dogs. They talk to their wife like that. This has got to stop. you got to stop the name calling. Not only are you tearing down your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or your spouse, you are tearing down the valuable image bearer of God. So if you don't do it for your spouse, you're tearing down, you're tearing down the person that God created in his image. They're an image bearer of God. And you're tearing them down with names. That is God's creation, and you're destroying it with your words. Let me tell you this. Eventually, if you continue to use names as weapons, there will be a day where you reap what you sow and your partner will make the decision to no longer be with you. That's not the goal, but it sure will happen. We gotta learn to fight fair. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 12 out of the English Standard Version says like this, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. And if this verse is about belittling, belittling your neighbor, how much more should that apply to your spouse? You're lacking sense if you're belittling your neighbor. You're lacking something else if you're belittling your spouse. And here's what I would love to see, okay? Here's what I would love to see. I would love to see couples begin to use their words not as swords, but as shields, let your words be the thing that protects your partner, not the thing that destroys them. Your words should build your partner up so much that no matter what life throws at them, they aren't coming down. But you need to tell them how special they are. You need to tell them how smart, how creative, how handsome, how beautiful, how considerate, how resourceful they are. Talk holy to them, baby. You know what I mean? you got to find ways to protect your spouse with your words, not destroy them. Make your spouse walk on cloud nine as they leave the house so when they get back home after all the suffering of, and beatings that life gives them all throughout the day, they still feel good. And they know that they're coming home to a place of encouragement. 
Don't make them dread coming home. No more name calling. But if you got to say names, make them holy. Make them holy names. No more name calling. Oh, I was like, it's back there. It's in the kids. I was like, Lord Jesus is coming back now. He said, You're not making it to point three. <laughs> All right. That sounded angelic, didn't it? Just, ooh. That was great. <laughs> Number three is off the table, okay. Number three, here we are, number three. Point number three. Third key to fighting fair. You gotta leave it in the past. You gotta leave it in the past. Listen, it happened. You made it through. Now get over it. Leave it in the past. This is a statement that, I, that many people make. I mean, I've heard it so many times. I've heard it so many times. They say, listen, I, I can forgive, but I can never forget. I can forgive, but I can never forget. And I, that's just not a biblical value. I'm sorry, I'm just telling you straight. Let me pass you for a moment. That's just not a biblical value. You say, I can forgive, but I, I can never forget. And now listen, there are situations that you just need to distance yourself from. Don't stand there and get beat up by your husband or beat up by your wife and stay there. Don't do that. You better remember that one. But don't go back. Don't, don't engage back in that relationship. Find yourself some safety and get out. But when it comes to your spouse, when it comes to the one that you're united with, this can't apply. This can't be the truth for you, that I can forgive, but I can never forget. It's not a biblical value. It sounds good. It feeds all of the right feelings within us, but this is not God's perspective. Can I get some landing music for me up here? Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 says this, I, and this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. It says, I, even I, even me, God, the creator of the universe, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Listen to this. And remembers them no more. Thank God he didn't say, I'll forgive you this time, but I can never forget it. Thank God he didn't say that. No, he said, he says, we made it through. I forgave you and I forgot about it. And I will never bring it up again. What would your marriage look like if you stopped rehashing the past mistakes of your spouse to help you make your point? What would it look like if your regular life, if you treated everybody that way? What if you forgave with no strings attached? What if you dropped it and you actually let it go for good? Here's what would happen. Notice how God wrote in that verse. He said, I blot out your sins for my own sake. If you took that posture of forgiveness and forgetfulness, if you took that posture, you would realize that forgiveness is more for you than it is for them. Drop it for your sake. Forgive them. 
for your sake. Let it go for your sake. Leave it in the past for your sake. If you put it like that, it sounds a little bit selfish, but it's not selfish at all. When you're quick to forgive and you refuse to bring it up again, listen, your spouse is going to get a better version of you. So it's not selfish at all. It's the most generous thing that you can do for your spouse. No more walking on eggshells. No more avoiding conversation because you're afraid of triggers. You can talk freely. You can talk honestly. You can talk openly about what's on your heart because there's nothing else weighing it down. There's nothing else weighing it down. Leave it in the past. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Jesus says this about a woman that was brought before them and she had a lot of of things that people could hold against her. But he forgave her and he said, go and just, just go and sin no more. And he said, therefore... And let me tell you, this woman came, comes back to Jesus, and this is where we're reading about it here. This woman comes back to Jesus later, and she honors him by getting down at his feet and, and, dry, and, and, and putting perfume on his feet, and like enough that it would take a year's worth of wages to purchase it. And she honors him for it. He forgives her, and, and she comes back and pay, pays it back and gives him honor. And Jesus says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been given, given, forgiven little loves little. If you don't feel your love, if you don't feel the love in your marriage, in your relationship, Maybe it's because there's not much forgiveness there. Maybe it's because there's some bitterness that you're still holding on to. Because those who have been forgiven little, love little. They express that only in little ways. But here's the implication of this verse, is that the opposite is also true. That whoever has been forgiven of much, loves much. Jesus said, her sins have been forgiven, her many sins, as her great love has shown. Her love has proven the forgiveness that was shown to her. Her love, her great love is a byproduct of generous forgiveness. And the implication that you can apply to you and your spouse, you want, you want to feel a little bit more love in your house? Forgive a little bit more. Because those who have been forgiven of much, they love much. They demonstrate it. They show it. And you'll get the fruit of that. Forgiveness is not a weakness. Forgiveness creates strength. We don't have to avoid conflict. We just got to fight fair. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.